Discipleship 101, as we talked about it last week, uh, you heard uh, from our lead pastor, Pastor Josiah Job. He led us into a sermon last week in which he spoke about the Great Commission, right? He spoke about the Great Commission, and when you look at what the Great Commission is, it's Jesus' command. It's his command for his followers to go out to the world and to make disciples, right? That's what he tells us. So it's like the calling is not just for us, me, the pastor, the worship leader, small, uh, life group leaders. It's for, it's for each and every single one of us that is here today. When you accept Jesus Christ in your heart as your Lord and your personal Savior, you, you're, you're on board with that mission. You've got that calling as well to go out and make disciples. He, goes, he says, go and make. But as you heard last week as we ended that series we, or, or that message, we understand that in order for us to go and make, right, we have to first respond to Jesus' invitation to come and follow. You can't go and make unless you've decided to go on ahead and come and follow Jesus. That's why when we read the statistics and we talked about 47% of the people of Christians today don't go and make disciples, meaning teaching other people about the gospel, teaching other people about who God is, of what God has done for them, of what God wants to do for them, of, of what God will do, that 40% of the Christians said, I don't disciple people because I don't know how. And that's why we're covering in these, in these next four weeks to be, what is disciple? What is discipleship? You hear Anthony say this many times. I'm not sure if he said it today, but he, he says it many times. And, and that is kind of our mission, uh, our statement is we want to be a family of love uh, who cooperates with God in making fully devoted, fruitful followers of Jesus Christ. This is our vision as a church. This is our call to cooperate with God in making these disciples. But it only happens when we decide, hey, I'm going to learn. I want to see what is it that, that you have, Lord. But in order to live this out, we have to return to what it means to be a disciple. And in effort to remind ourselves of what it means to be a disciple, throughout this next month, we're going to be looking at Jesus' words on discipleship. We're going to be learning from Jesus what discipleship is all about in this series titled Discipleship 101. To know what it means to be a disciple, it begins with navigating the questions of spiritual life. As I was putting this together, I was thinking of, as we're talking about questions and having questions, I was thinking about my, my, our middle son, Matthew. He has, he has all the questions. He, he's always been that way since he was a toddler. He asks question after question after question after question. And he's smiling right now because he knows that's true. What is it, Dad? How does it work, Dad? How, how, how do you do that, Dad? What do you think about this, Dad, all day long? <laughs> but I honestly believe that he has so much questions because he has a hunger to know, Right? Remember the teacher's always saying, there's no such thing as a dumb question. <laughs> we all have a hunger to know. A hunger to know the what. What are we to do next? What is the answer to the question in which maybe we've been pondering in our minds? What will my life look like in the next month, in the next year, in the next 10 years? What is it all going to look like? We all navigate through questions in our lives, if we're honest. But in our text today, in which we're going to be going over, we're going to find one of three questions in which we carry with us a whole lot. And that question is, what must I do? What must I do? The question we find posed today has to do with the purpose of our life. We might not ask it in this direct form. But we do think about it, in, or we ask it in one question or another, meaning we don't necessarily say, oh, what must I do? But we think about this. We say, hey, what do I have to do to live a life of success? We think to ourselves, what do I got to do to live with purpose? What do I have to do to, to find salvation? Because all we want to know is how is it that we are to live our lives the right way? I'll share a quote with you. I'm not sure if we've got it up on the screen, but... Ronald 
Rawheiser, he, he puts it this way. He says, deep inside us, the call is to be a saint, to believe that meaning and happiness lie in generosity and self-forgetfulness. Yet other voices, also deep inside us, demand other things. They would have us experience every sensation of the sinner, securing things for ourselves, building a name and a nest. Which of these voices speaks truth? You see, that right there is the what. What is the way that we are to live? You see, because I believe that the struggle we have in pursuing a life of faith through responding to his call, to Jesus' call to discipleship, is the struggle that we have to entrust all of our lives to God's care. That's the biggest issue that we have when it comes to giving our life to Christ, to becoming a disciple of his, is we have a problem giving him our all. Because in reality, if we're being honest, the Bible tells us Jesus expects our all and nothing less. And this is where it becomes iffy. This is where it becomes difficult. This is where it becomes challenging. This is where so many people leave. The what isn't what you bring to the table. The what we need to discover is what you gain through a life of faith. And if we're talking about discipleship, discipleship begins by speaking to our identity. It begins by speaking to our purpose. And today as a church, the question that I want you to ask yourself today, my brothers and sisters, in responding to God's call of your life, is what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to give up? I'm going to put a perfect illustration before you, and it's going to be this mess, this this text that we're going to be reading from today. Today we're going to be looking at an interaction of Jesus to a man who is asking about the what of life. A man who has everything. A man who has done everything. Yet he finds himself confronted with Jesus and he's still asking about the what of life. But we see that this interaction begins with this man first searching for directions. So if you have your Bibles with you, with you you can open them up with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 10. We're going to be going over verses 17 through 27. We'll also have the verses up on the screen. And if you're watching us on Facebook, you can have the verses there in the bottom of your screen. We find this man, you've probably heard this, um, this message of this young, rich ruler time and time again. But we're going to use this right now to kind of show us how Jesus is, is, is he's kind of discipling. He's trying to disciple this brother here. But we find him as he confronts Jesus, he's searching for direction. Our verse, our text today be begins with verse 17. My version might be a little different than, than the ones on the screen, but it's the same. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him, meaning Jesus, and he asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He runs up to Jesus. Jesus is getting ready to go on his next mission trip. And he finds Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? That is the question that is asked by this young, rich ruler. And it's a question that begins a journey of seeking faith. We don't ask it that exact way many times, you and I, but we do ask it in many different various forms. What must I do to, to earn whatever it is that I want? What must I do to achieve the goals that I want to achieve? What must I do to discover what it is that I'm looking for? You see, our questions usually start with seeking for direction. But the honesty is that in order for it to take hold in our lives, it must lead us to walking to action. And in order to engage the depth of our searching for purpose, we have to really ask ourselves, what are you searching for in your life? You know, I believe this is something that really, really we need to figure out. It's like you can't think about steps A, B, C until you, you've, or, or B, C, D until you've really figured out step A. Because you only got a short amount of time in this world. We've talked about this. We've preached about what happens when you die and all these type of things. Our time here is very minuscule compared to what eternity brings. And because we have such a small time 
we have to figure out what are we chasing? What are we chasing? Are you asking the what questions out of a hunger for success? Are you asking the what questions out of depression or, or, or desperation for survival? Out of anxiety and fear of failing? Each of us and everyone here, we come to God looking for answers to our questions. But the real thing we have to confront is why are we asking the questions in which we are posing before God? Because I'm sure each and every one of us here have petitions. Each and every one of us here, when we go before God, we ask him, God, why this? Or God, can you do this? Or God, show me. But why are you asking? What is the true meaning behind you? What, what, what is the motivation? Because the reality is that you'll never be able to enter into a relationship of trust with God if you can't come to the root of the reality of what it is that you are truly looking for from him. The man asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then we find Jesus' answer in verse 18 and 19. It says, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. This was Jesus' response back. See, the man's like, Jesus, what must I do? Jesus doesn't give him a direct answer. Jesus' response to the man's question isn't one that's direct, but one that repositions what the man is truly looking for. And I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But Jesus immediately, he rephrases, what he's doing is rephrasing the man's question to help him see what he's looking for. It won't be found in himself, but it's going to be found outside of himself. In responding by asking, why do you call me good? Jesus is responding by saying, hey, the answer you are looking for must flow first and foremost from God. In his reply, Jesus brings the attention of the man back to the Ten Commandments because he knows this man knows his word. He, he's already come and says, I've done it all, and you'll see that. But as he's telling him and talking to him about these kind of these Ten Commandments, he's not doing it as a direct way to say, hey, return, you know, do all these things, follow all of these rules. What he's doing it pretty much, he's trying to tell the guy, listen, my brother, listen, my son, come back, return to God's word for life. That's what the Ten Commandments were to the Israelites. They weren't necessarily just a list of rules, but they were a guide. The Ten Commandments for the Israelites were a path on how to live in covenant relationship with the living God. It's what's summarized, it's what's summarized in the end of the book of Deuteronomy, which we find in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. It says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you. You see, Jesus, his reply begins this way. What must you do? You must follow the words of life and let it guide you. Jesus is probing the man to ask, what is it that he's using as his guide to navigate how it is that he's supposed to be living? Do you know the questions, church, do, or do you know the words of direction for your life? Jesus' response to this man is one of reposing his question back to him. Are you open to receiving a different way? And that's key. That's something that if you just read past it, you miss. Jesus is really telling this brother here, are you open to receiving a different way? Because up until now, this brother's been doing it all his way. James Edwards, he summarizes it this way. He says, if no one is good except God alone, then the man still lacks something before God, even if he keeps all the commandments. Jesus' unexpected counter question intends to move the man beyond confidence in his own moral ways to the ultimate purpose of his life, which is to know God. But in order to grab hold of what it means, church, to live as a disciple of Christ here in the year 2022, we have to return to this beginning. 
And that is, are you searching for direction in how to succeed in life? Or are you searching for direction on how to know God? Because there's a big difference between the two. And the reality is they both don't lead in the th- to the same place. But as you do, if you do, as the Bible says, to seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything will be added unto you. What God is saying, what Jesus is kind of telling his brother, hey, seek me first. And don't just seek me first for what you want. Don't seek me first to get your, an- your petitions answered. Seek me first because you want to know me. You see, because when I met my wife, and, and, and she was just a girl who walked into a youth service back when I was a young lad, I said, I could imagine, I said, man, I really, I, I, I really want to, to know her. And, and, and I shared the story. I'm not going to share it right now. But I honestly, my aunt was standing next to me and said, that's my wife. I'm going to marry her. I hadn't even had a conversation with her. Been married 18 years, going to be. But what I did is I said, man, I want to get to know her. Because as I get to know her, I'm going to be able to find out if I'm going to have life with her. We have to be able to be willing to know God, to know him. And the more that we get to know him, the more we get to experience life. And yes, that means it's going to be scary. Yes, it's going to mean I don't know if I can can give certain things up. But God says, man, come to me. Seek me first, and then everything will come into place. But it's coming into place in his way, in his standard, in his timing. And that's what's so difficult. Because in our minds, we've got it all planned out. But how many people know that life doesn't go the way you plan? Amen? The sooner you realize that, the sooner you'll be better. In a culture that speaks to our desires, we are to be people who are resolved, to hold fast to our godly commitments. And this brother here, this man, his question isn't flowing from searching for how to know God. No, because he's, he's been doing his things, and he's just like, how do I get to heaven? In reality, the man is searching for some prescription and how he can be deemed good by God once and for all. But Jesus, when you read this text, he doesn't prescribe a guided answer. What he's doing is he's probing the man for where his heart resides. Following Jesus must begin with openly seeking Jesus. You have to seek him. On the surface, we may be seeking for an answer for a prescribed way, but truly, we are seeking for life. And that's the beginning call of Jesus. Come and follow and discover a new way of life. That's Jesus' call. Come. Are you tired of your old life? Are you tired of being your own God? Are you tired of doing your own thing? Come and follow me. I will give you a new life with new purpose, with new desire. That's what he wants to give us. And that's what being a disciple means. Because as we're learning that from Jesus, we're becoming a disciple. It's like your children, for those of you who are parents here, like you have little disciples. And those are your, your kids. They're learning. They're watching what mom and dad is doing. And yes, they have their own things. But most likely they are shaped based on what they are learning from mom and dad. Why? Because mom and dad are doing life with them each and every single day. Eugene Patterson summarizes it this way. He says, to follow Jesus implies that we enter into a way of life that is given character and shape and direction by the one who calls us. He says, to follow Jesus means picking up rhythms and ways of doing things that are often unsaid but always derivative from Jesus, formed by the influence of Jesus. To follow Jesus means that we can't separate what Jesus is saying from what Jesus is doing and the way that he is doing it. And he ends it, to follow Jesus is as much or maybe even more about feet as it is about ears and eyes. We are to start seeking, but are we open to receiving God's way? See, the text begins with searching, but it continues through a difficult answer. And in that answer we find in verse 20. The man goes on ahead and he eagerly answers Jesus. This is what the man says. He says, and he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So his brother saying, hey, these commandments that you're talking about, I've kept that from my youth, Jesus. 
again, I believe that the man, what he's doing is he's, he's looking for a pat on the back from Jesus. He's looking for Jesus to say, oh, good, yes, my son, thank you, such a great kid. He's looking for an, an acknowledgement that he doesn't need to know what to do because he's already done it. He's seeking affirmation of his own personal achievement, but Jesus speaks directly to his ear. And this is what Jesus says in verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Everybody say, loved him. Man. If, you, if you're reading the word too fast, you miss it. Because Jesus is genuinely looking at this rich young ruler, as we call him. And, and he's seeing that, that, that his heart really isn't in the right place. But yet Jesus says, but, but the word says, he looks at him and he loved him. And he says to him, you lack one you see, I'm going to stop right there really quickly. When we go on ahead in life and we try to maybe fall, even though we say no, but because we believe Christianity is not a religion, it's a, it's a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. But many times we still stick with these religious things. Like, like you feel like, well, I'm going to church every Sunday. I signed up for a small group. I'm leading a couple ministries. I'm, I'm, I'm reading my devotion. Now I got it all together, right, Jesus? Now I'm right, right, Jesus? But can I tell you something? That no matter what you do in this flesh, you're still going to be missing one thing. Because no one is righteous, the Bible says. Not anyone. He says, you lack one thing. Now Jesus is speaking directly to the heart because you can't fool Jesus. You can't go and talk your way up for, for my salespeople here. You can't talk your way into making Jesus think something else. Jesus sees your heart. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He says, go sell all. Everyone say all. That you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. The man was looking for affirmation of his deeds. Of everything that I have done. Look, Jesus, look. But instead, Jesus replies, Give it all up. We have, this is, this is tough. This is tough, especially sometimes some of the, you know, we sometimes feel, this is where a lot of us too Christians, sometimes we get stuck because we're trying to follow Jesus and we're doing the things, but we've also maybe gone to school, we've got goals, we've got businesses, and we're, you know, we're like, so what does that mean? Should I not be focused on any of these things? Should I just be focused more on God? I don't know. That, that, that's not it. I've always talked to you guys, and I've always taught you. It's about what are you putting, where are you putting all your eggs in, right? As they say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. What are you putting all your time? What are you putting all of your energy in? See, God is saying this to this brother because God knows he has an issue in the heart, something that he's not letting go of. He's saying let go of everything, every comfort and security, every other way, let go of it is what he's telling him because he has this false security blanket around him, and that's everything that he owns. When you come to Jesus searching for an answer, are you open to his words, or are you really just coming looking for affirmation in the present? Because I'm, when you go to Jesus looking for an answer, be ready to receive an answer that maybe you might not like. You might not like. When I was young, I'd always pray, Lord, do with me whatever it is you want to do. Use me for whatever it is you want to use me. Man, listen, you better know and understand the words that you are saying. Because then God presents opportunities, and then you're like, oh, no, 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 I don't want that. I'm, I'm, I'm not ready for that. If we come to Jesus searching for the what, but are doing so, church, in a way that we aren't willing to let go of everything else, then we aren't really open to receiving from him. Don't say that. If you're not willing to let go of everything, don't say, God, have your way with me if you're not willing to let go of things. Because whatever it is that maybe you are super attached to that God might be telling you to let go of, you're going to have a problem if you're not willing to let go of it. Jesus' answer confounds the man because it feels like maybe because this man is just thinking, man, this is just another task. This is another commandment. But in reality, this brother is missing the point of the teaching. 
just like us. If we just read this, we're probably missing the point of teaching, just being, hey, if you're rich, throw your money, give it away, then you'll be safe. No, that's not what this passage means at all. It reminds me of the Karate Kid. You guys remember the Karate Kid? Who, who can't? Because now they've got Cobra Kai, right? I think the next season is in September. But if you remember, do you remember when, when, when Daniel San, right? Remember when, when, when uh, Mr. Miyagi starts training? Oh, you want me to train you? Okay, come and start training, right? And what does, does it, do they go right away to karate? No, absolutely not. Daniel has to sand the floor. He has to uh, wax the car. He has to paint the house. And finally, Daniel gets so upset, and he's like, man, I wasn't here to do tasks. I was here to learn karate. Then Mr. Miyagi tells him, hey, man, I've been teaching you karate all along through these tasks. That's kind of like what's happening here in this conversation. That's kind of what happens also with discipleship. Jesus is giving this man a teaching of what it means to follow him, but he just can't see it. Because, listen, you're not going to see something you don't want to see even if it's staring you right in the face. God could be yelling in your ear, stop doing this. But if you don't want to stop it, you ain't listening. God may be leading you, go here, but if you don't want to go, you're not not looking at what it is he wants you to do. To go before God, to submit to him means that, listen, God, whatever it is, because I love you so much, not just because of love, but because what you've done for me, not just because of what you've done for me, but what, because I know that, listen, I'm, everyone is a sinner. Everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short. And sin and a holy God doesn't mix. Meaning that when we're done with this side of eternity, man, if we're going to live eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in all eternal glory, It means that the only way we get access to that is through Jesus, is through the blood that he shed on the cross of Calvary. The call to go and sell all that you have is not a rebuke against the man's wealth. That's what we we think that that's what it is. It's not. It's deeper than that. It's bigger than that. It's a summons to let go of his own salvation. Because all of his possessions, we don't even know what it was, Back in the day, he just had all the goats, he had all the lambs, whatever it might have been. But to that man, that was his salvation. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach teach him. That's what Jesus was trying to show him. Where, where, where do you lie your salvation at? See, for this man, it was like, man, I'm following Jesus, I'm doing all these things, but I also have all, the, all of this wealth here. And really, this wealth is my security blanket because if something happens, then I'm going to be okay because I've got wealth. Jesus is answering this man's question not by giving him something to do, but by identifying what he is holding on to for his salvation. And I want you to let you know, church, you know, religion tells you what to do. Jesus shows you what it is that is holding you back from doing whatever it is that he's called you to. Jesus pinpoints things. He, he, he's like what David, when David says in, in, in the book of Psalms, search my heart, O Lord. You know, we need to be people like that. You know, we need to be people like that. It, it, it's hard enough to, to go to someone and say, hey, man, have I offended you in any way? But, man, you need to go before God each and every day and say, God, have I offended you? God, is there something in me that is wrong that needs to get resolved? Show me the what. And be prepared for whatever God is going to show you. Because that what is probably tied into something that your heart is holding on to. And if you want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, if you want to be a Christian, which means Christ follower, not just a title, but a disciple of Jesus Christ, you've got to be able to and willing to work through those things that are tied directly to your heart. Amen? We all come to God with questions. But are we willing to receive his answer? And I, quite frankly, there's a lot. There, there, that's one of the main reasons why a lot of people who maybe have stopped asking, stopped seek, seeking to God, stopped praying, stopped attending church, whatever the case, because maybe God has been showing them something, but they just don't want it. All of us are holding on to something for our own personal success, our own personal salvation. That is, we hold on to success as our ultimate goal, as providing for our loved ones, as our security. We hold on to our jobs as our providers. We are missing the call to the wholehearted, reliant faithfulness to God, church. Each of us have 
hidden idols in our hearts that are captivating us from being unwilling to let go. And we just need to go before God and say, God, what is it? What is it? Yet Jesus calls out to this man for a better way. And like I said, in verse 21, he says, Jesus loved him. He loved him so much that he's trying to show him. He wanted life for him. He follows it with an invitation to come and follow me. Come, be my disciple. So many of us say right now, say, man, I wish I could have been one of Jesus' disciples. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because if you're struggling letting go of some things right now to follow him, imagine in person. It wasn't easy. We're going to get to this later on in this series, but there was a whole lot more than 12 people following Jesus at one point. And Jesus started preaching some radical Radical words, man, turning the world upside down. And the Bible says, and people turned around and followed him. So how does the man respond? Listen to this in verse 22. Here's a chance. Here's a chance for this brother right here. He says he's been doing it all. Now Jesus says, okay, but there's something stuck, though. You've got all this wealth, is what he's saying. And it's not about the wealth that bothers me, he's telling this brother. It's that your heart is tied into this wealth as your form of salvation. But if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to understand your salvation is not found in your finances. Your salvation is not found in your relationships. Your salvation is found in me, is what he's telling Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I don't know, when I read this, man, I, I get, it, 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 it pinches my heart. As this man's face fell, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He was disheartened, disheartened. a word that conveys shock, intense dismay. It means to be appalled. He was like, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. And he's not saying I can't do that because, well, that's my money. He's saying he can't do that because in reality, what Jesus was pointing out was that wealth is your salvation. That wealth that you have is your savior. Are you willing to give that false savior, push it to the side, and follow the one true savior? This brother says yes. And don't just point the finger at him saying, shame on you. That's more than, that, that, that's, that's the majority right now in this world. How many people do we know that have come to Christ? But once they knew what the true cost was, no longer decided to, to follow, to be a disciple of his. The man couldn't let go of his false sense of security in his own wealth. I want you to listen to this translation. This translation is uh, the message that we've got. NIV, we've got so many translations of the Bible. But I want you to listen to this one. It's called the message. Listen to to the way it puts verse 22. I'm not sure if we've got it up here or not. But just listen at least from uh, from me. When Jesus said that, this is what the brother said. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. I love that translation because because right away when we think about health uh, or wealth, I want to say health all the time. When we think about wealth, we just think right away finances, right? And, and, and it could have been, but like this translation says here, it breaks it down even deeper to, I think it makes it more realistic to what God, what Jesus is saying. It says that he was holding on tight to a lot of things. And not about to let go. See, we all come to God searching with questions. But are we willing to hear his answers? Are we open to receive a way that confronts what we are holding on to as a false sense of security? Man, because if you are going to God with that type of heart, man, you're in for some good stuff. Because anyone that doesn't accept consequences or, or, or anyone that the truth is not, they're not accepting the truth. The Bible calls you a fool in the book of Proverbs. You go before God, you go before God and say, God, show me, show me. And whatever God starts leading you to, you've got to be willing to do it. But this man here, we see he wasn't willing to let go. He says, nope, 
I'm, I'm dropping out of Discipleship 101 before I even completed my first class term. A man's not willing to let go of what he was holding on to as salvation. Church, our discipleship with Christ will never grow. It's never going to grow if we refuse to let go of our other false security. What is it? What is that false security for you? Maybe finances. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's some type of substance. We can't profess faith in Christ, but then hold on to our wealth, to our job, to our stuff, to our families as our real sense of security. You see, you can have them both. You just can't profess Christ and, and, and actually really have these other things as your real sense of, uh, of security, as your real savior. That's why I say you can be, you can say, man, I want to start a business. I want it to be successful. You can have that stuff. God doesn't want you to not have that. But when you start putting that above him, then we start putting everything that we have physically, mentally, and we invest it in that. Jesus calling out this man to let go isn't chastising his wealth. What he was doing is he's calling out his lack of openness to really let go and trust him. This man says, I, got, I did it all, Jesus. He says, really? Then do this. Because when we hold on to our control, when we hold on to our abilities, when we hold on to our success tightly while asking God what we need to do, you know how we look like to God? We look like someone wearing a life jacket in two feet of water. Like, do you really trust? Do you really trust God? I know how hard it is to let go of things. But if we keep holding on, church, we are limiting how God can really work in our lives. If we keep holding on to these things, if we keep holding on to these false securities, you're not allowing God to do what he wants to do in your life. Man, if only you can see it. If only you can see it. If only you can see what your life would look like, what it's meant to be. If you were all in with Jesus Christ, if only you could see that, I, I get it. It might be easier. It might be easier. But we don't get that necessarily that opportunity. Because then Jesus says, well, everyone will be following me only because I showed them the good. Jesus wants us to seek him, to know him. Then we'll experience everything else together. We aren't open to his way so many times because we're too busy fold or holding fast to our own way. We all come to God with our questions, but we're part, many times not willing to listen to his answers. The answer we want isn't usually the answer that we mean, that, that, that we need. It's like we start praying, God, God, you know, answer my petition, answer my petition. He starts answering it. So, no, I don't like that answer. So you keep, you pray. You say, no, well, God, I'm praying because I want you to change it. The answer we want isn't usually the answer that we need. The man, then he comes and he he comes searching, but then he receives a difficult answer. And what do we see the, the brother do? He walks away. But Jesus follows up with the cost of discipleship. Listen to this. The cost of discipleship. He says in verse 23 through 27, he says this. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Jesus describes the action of, of discipleship as difficult, hard. It's not easy. Like we always say, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? He points out it's really difficult for those with wealth because there is so much. You know why he says that? Not because, oh, it's difficult for someone with a bunch of money to get into heaven. That's not what, he, what necessarily he's saying it. He's saying that because that there's with some people, whether it's wealth or whatever the case is, there's so much insulation of false security that's around them that it's really hard to let go. What Jesus is saying, man, it's hard for anyone to get to heaven who is not willing to let go. Remember, he says you have to die to yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Discipleship, it costs us. If anyone here in this room has decided to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you know it's cost you. It's cost you relationships. For some of you that I know personally, it's cost you jobs. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
It's costing your family in some cases to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because maybe you here would say, man, I'm willing to, I'm willing to give it all to him. I'm willing to go out and speak the truth. I'm willing to be who he's called me to be. And whatever consequences happen, let them happen. But I know that I, if I am completely following Jesus, then I know eventually he's got me somewhere else. He's got me somewhere else. Disciple cost us, church. Understand that. Know that. It cost us by opening up our life to faith that feels like risk to relying on God by really letting go. That's hard. Taking a chance on things is hard. Listen to verse 24 and 25 after Jesus says that. Because before I read this, think about this. Jesus is, or, or the disciples are seeing this brother who came, wealthy brother, following the commandments since he was young. Then Jesus, and yet now he walks away. Then Jesus says what he says about, man, it's, it's going to be hard for anyone with wealth to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the disciples say this, and the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But before that, listen, listen to what he says back there. He says, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? What Jesus is saying, listen, he's not just saying how difficult is it. He's saying it is impossible to enter the kingdom of God. Did you know that? It's impossible that when you die to enter the kingdom of heaven by yourself. It is impossible to do that. That is the reason why following Christ Accepting him as your Lord and Savior is so important. It's so vital. We need that because that is our ticket into heaven. That is our ticket into having eternal life. Jesus gives this over-the-top image of the difficulty as being like a camel fitting through the eye of a needle. It's really an exaggeratory image to say following Jesus is hard. And if you're looking to getting into heaven by following all these rules, then it's not going to happen. You're going to fail time in and time again. The person that you think has it all together fails God on a daily basis. If we seek to follow Jesus through asking questions, through a filter that only wants to hear enabling responses, then we're missing out on the real way of trusting God with our lives. Because listen, following Jesus Christ, it is hard. It is very hard. But can I tell you something? It is worth it. It is worth it. Verses 26 to 27, and they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible. But with God, but all things are possible with God. But not with God. All things are impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. So whenever you say that, whenever you're like, man, I would like to do that, but I'm not sure. Hey, but all things are possible through God. This is where that text really comes from. Saying, listen, man, without God, you ain't stepping foot into heaven. Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, without professing him as your Lord and personal Savior, you ain't got a shot. Knock at the doors all you want. Ain't no one letting you in. Unless you've got that relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, of course, no one can get in. But you guys have fault. You guys have sinned. These verses are... The key to the full understanding of this passage. Jesus and his reply to this man was inviting him out of trust in self and stuff and into a life of truly trusting in God. Because the reality, that's what this is, what the, the, the 12 disciples at that time did, right? They, they left what they were doing. They left what they were doing to follow God, to follow Jesus. But the man couldn't let go of his false security. Verse 26, it shows that the disciples are, are in shock. Who can be saved? Why? Because this man seemed to have it all. Yet Jesus is pointing out that having it all doesn't matter in the kingdom of heaven. Having it all might matter here. Having your money, uh, having your money, your, your bank accounts fully stacked may matter here. Having all the relationships may matter here. Having the best relationship with your family may matter here. But man, it doesn't matter into 
when it comes to getting into the kingdom of heaven. It's all about having one thing. See, we limit the possibilities of what God can do when we minimize discipleship through what we can achieve on our own. When we open up our life to the impossibilities that God can do, all things, then we can discover that what true discipleship is all about. And that's about letting and discovering God work through us. The gospel message is that all things are possible with God. That's the only, and it's only through Jesus' life, through his death and his, through his resurrection, that you can exit death and live still in true life, eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question that was asked. And a question that maybe many of us have asked. First and foremost, stop trusting yourself. You want, to, you, know, what, what, you want to know what to do to inherit eternal life? Stop trusting yourself. Stop being your own God. Stop being your own, your, your, your own uh, Savior. And trust that with God, the impossibilities that you see, that you may see, that believe that they become possible with Him. Don't worry about what's ahead. Don't worry about what's tomorrow. Don't worry about how you're going to fulfill this need. Don't worry about how you're going to fulfill that need, that obligation. Don't worry about that right now. Worry about God. Seek Him. Know Him. Become one with Him. And with that, man, you'll start getting out the guidance that you need, the direction that you need toward these things. We can't live into our discipleship with God if we aren't willing to let go so we return to the what what are you searching for what are you willing to give up because before we can start as a church going out and making disciples we've got to first decide in our hearts am I going to follow am I going to follow are you willing to follow are you willing to stop leading and to start once you start following him, he will teach you what you need to know. And those things down, he would start teaching others. Because trying to disciple without following him, oh my gosh, that's a big mess. What are you teaching them? What are you teaching other people? I'll leave you once again with Mark 10, 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. I'm going to ask you all stand. I'm going to ask that you close your eyes right there where you're at. And I want to give you the opportunity right here, right now, before the day takes a hold of you, the past takes a hold of you. I want you right now when you're listening to this word, if, you've, if you're here, you say, man, I want to be a disciple. I, I want to help make disciples. I want to not just be someone who it says, hey, I follow Jesus, but I want to do what Jesus told me to do, which was to make other people who will be like Jesus. But first, you got to follow. And in order to follow, you got to let go. So with your eyes closed right there, I want you, only you know. Only you know maybe right now in your heart, what is it that you are struggling with? What is it that you know that, 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 that God maybe has been showing you today in this message of something that you have to let go of in order to continue to progress in who knowing who God is? Right there where you're at, what is it? I'm going to let Jason just sing a chorus here, but while he's doing that, I don't want you necessarily just looking at the lyrics and reading whatever. No, I want you speaking to God. And if you don't know, search my heart, God. Search my heart. What is it that's keeping me from being who you've called me to be? If you know what it is, start praying. Stop, start asking, oh, God, help me to be able to let go of that. Let go. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. Lord, there's nothing, nothing is better than you. 
I've searched the world, but it couldn't fail me. A man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. And you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. There is nothing Thank you for the, that truth that we find that there truly isn't nothing better than you. Yes, the world may advertise things much, but that, that they may taste better. But we know deep down inside, Father God, that it is you. It is you who offers us that water that, 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 that will make us never quench and thirst again. It is you, Father, who fill the voids that so many people have left. It is you, Father God, that holds our hand in the good and the bad, in the valleys, Lord, and in the mountaintop. We thank you for that, Jesus. We love you, God. Remind us, Lord Jesus Christ, constantly, Father God, of who you are, of what you've done, and really that you are the only true way. Father, we pray right now as we're getting ready to dismiss, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for allowing us the wonderful opportunity to be gathered as one church, Father, in these four walls, Lord Jesus Christ, worshiping you and receiving of your word. I pray now as we're dismissing, Lord, that you would uh, give protection to your church, to your sons, to your daughters. As we have a list of things that have to be done today, tomorrow, Father God, throughout the week, Father God, Lord, I pray for your protection. But I, I, I most importantly ask that you would remind us, each one of us, who it is that you have called us to be, Lord. That you have called us your children, that you have called us to be the salt of this earth. You've called us to be the light of the world, Lord, that you did not call us to blend in, Lord, but you've called us to stand out. Oh, Father God, help us stand out. And allow us to remember that we can only stand out if we're spending more time with you. We've decided to follow you, God. That the world will be able to look at us and see something different they will see that we love different, we talk different, we think different. Help us, Father God, to be able to fulfill the commands of what you've given us. Church, I dismiss you right now with this blessing that we find in the Old Testament. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you all. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May the Lord give you peace, that peace that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' holy, mighty name. The church of God says, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you, church. You are dismissed. We love you. We will see you next week.